Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. Welcome to Manna for Breakfast. It is the 28th of January. We are in Genesis 38 and 39 today. So God, we ask you would guide us, direct us, and give us other insight to these things, these very interesting chapters in the Bible as we understand the, the intricacies of family relationships and the way you work through them by your almighty grace. So thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 38. Now, it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter, a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son and named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Jezib that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah and Onan said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so when he went in to his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to her brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, for he thought, I'm afraid that he too might die like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning ended, Judah went up to his sheep shears in Timnah, and he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in the gateway of Enaim, which is in the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah, had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife and when judah saw her he thought she was a harlot for she had covered a face so he turned aside to her by the road and said here now let me come into you for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law and she said what will you give me that you may come to me and he said therefore i will send you a young goat from the flock she said moreover will you give me a pledge until you send it he said what pledge shall i give you and she said your seal and your cord and the staff that is in your hand so he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments when judah sent for the young goat by his friend the adulamite to receive the pledge of the woman's hand he did not find her he asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Eam? But they said, There's been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, 
Let her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now, it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot. And behold, she also she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I insomuch as I did not give her my son, Sheila. And he did not have relations with her again. And it came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came out as he drew back his hand that, behold, his brother came out. And she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. So she named him Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah, chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and became his personal servant. He made him overseer of his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire for Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her and lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day, that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garments beside me and fled outside. Verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, this is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. 
But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So here we have two very different chapters in the book of Genesis. We had started looking into the life of Joseph in chapter 37, uh, 36, and then we jump... Yeah, in 37, and, and you jump here into the first chapter, and you find out that uh, now we're talking about Judah and Tamar, and it seems totally unconnected. But there is a connection in the sense that Judah was the one who told his brothers, don't kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now, that's not saying a lot, but it was the very thing that God had in his providence, that Judah would say that and that Joseph would go down into Egypt and become a mighty leader. He would become that sheave that would save the world. So as Judah saved his life, now Joseph could save everyone. And I'm I'm gonna just guess in my own personal opinion that because Judah made that stand, then God said, you know what? I'm gonna use Judah to bring forth the Messiah. He was the one one that stood up, apart from, obviously, Reuben, um, and that's a whole different ponderment. Where was Reuben when all this was going on? But nonetheless, Judah decided not to kill him, and now we're going to see the Messiah is going to come through the line of Judah, but it's going to come through Tamar. So while Joseph is going to model the Messiah, we get the bloodline of the Messiah being explained to us coming through Judah. And uh, because remember the line of Judah, Judah, Jesus's lineage goes back to Judah here, but it's coming through Tamar in this weird, weird circumstance. Why is all this happening? You can certainly see that God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Judah does everything wrong does not give his younger son to her. And of course, this older, the other brother is is unfaithful, does not marry her, and does not produce children for her, and he dies. God took his life because of that disobedience. And he doesn't want to give the third son, so she becomes pregnant by him. And, you know, not in a good way. He was going, he was going to have sex with a temple prostitute. These guys had issues. They were not strong in their faith. They were up and down. They were confused. They were not there at all. But God used it in an amazing way. And uh, we see that Tamar now becomes the mother of these twins, which is then going to come down the line to bring the Messiah. John chapter 5. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porticles. And in these lay multitude of those who were sick, blind, and lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then, whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well 
from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. In that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now. I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. And for whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to resurrection of life and to those who committed evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not speak my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Verse 33. Verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say that these these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining 
and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time or seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who sent him. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? So powerful and so direct that Jesus is talking to these religious Jews. Remember at Bethsaida when he heals that man, he doesn't say to him, your sins are forgiven. He says, take up your pallet and go home. The same thing that the Pharisees wanted to hear. He says, you, you know, he kind of goes along with, hey, you're not supposed to say your sins are forgiven. Only God does that. And so, he does the other thing, okay, take up your pallet and walk, go home or your, whatever. And, and this happens again, and there's more Pharisees there. And it again is reinforcing this idea, no, I am deity. And then they find out that he equates himself with God. He tells them directly that he and his father is one and that his father gives glory to him and all judgment to him. I mean, he comes, this is, probably the strongest affirmation of his deity, this whole interchange, exchange with these Jews, how he just comes straight out and says, I've, given, I've been given all authority, and even unto salvation, those who are saved. And Moses wrote about me, the Messiah, the one who has power to raise up the dead to life and give salvation. Phenomenal chapter, powerful chapter and again we're just seeing the the whole ministry of jesus being brought to the forefront that he says the law was to bring you to an understanding of your hopelessness and that you're sick and you need a physician you think that in reading the scriptures you have life that in them you have life and he says that's not no there's, there's a misconception that the Jews have that the, the reading of the word in the Torah is what brings life, but it's the living word of the Torah that brings life. They, they miss the, the forest for the trees, if you can say it that way. Jesus is the living word of God. They read the word of God, and yet they can't see him. And so they look to the pages, and they look to the scroll. They look to Moses, and he says... That's not where salvation is. All of it was written of me. And you could say written by me. 
in the sense that he inspired it into the, into the uh, apostles and the prophets, patriarchs. Well, we'll go now over into Charles Spurgeon, titled, Tears Shall Cease. Revelation 21, 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Yes, we shall harden to this if we are believers. Sorrow shall cease and tears shall be wiped away. This is the world of weeping, but it passes away. There shall be a new heaven and a new earth. So says the first verse in this chapter. And therefore there will be nothing to weep over concerning the fall and its consequent miseries. Read the second verse and note how it speaks of the bride and her marriage. The Lamb's wedding is a time for boundless pleasure and tears would be out of place. The third verse says that God himself will dwell among men and surely at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore and tears can no longer flow. What will our state be when there is no more sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. This will be more glorious than we can as yet imagine. Our eyes that are red with weeping cease your scalding flow. For in a little while you shall know no more tears. None can wipe tears away like the God of love, but he is coming to do it. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Come, Lord, and tarry not, for now both men and women must weep. And Father, that is a beautiful truth, and and it's a great joy and something that we look forward to, understanding that there is going to be a day when all pain, all weeping, all sorrow is going to be taken away. We are going to only know the joy of our salvation. You are in our presence, physically dwelling with you in new, perfected, glorious bodies in a perfect environment, in a, in a type of Eden, the original design for us. And Father, we will know no longer no conflict or jealousy will be at peace. We'll know the perfect balance of what life was meant to be and what a glorious thing. And it is this that this author, Charles Spurgeon, is spurring us on to keep in focus, keep our minds on, because right now there is weeping, there is sorrow going on in the world, but it's going to change. But in the meantime, we need to keep our armor on and stay strong. And so we do pray for the the difficulties that are going on in the world and the struggles and the near wars that seem to be looming. We thank you that Russia and Ukraine seem to be standing down rather than building. There seems to be a calming there. So we thank you for that. We don't know about China. So God, please don't allow them to make a move. Father, we pray for Israel again as they have had to do some some attacks against the governments that are bringing in missiles to destroy them. We thank you for their intelligence. We pray that you would uh, allow them to do those surgical strikes to destroy those factories in those areas so that the war might be averted. Father, this may be their plan to keep destroying their armament so that they have nothing to fight with. So give them the strength they need, the intelligence they need, and uh, the cooperation, Father, with the other countries that they need so that they can maintain peace. And in that, God, in the midst of that, we pray 
for the pastors, the evangelists, the saved rabbis that are there day after day, secretly but joyfully sharing your love. We ask you continue to build them up, especially all the, the um, work that Calvary Chapel's doing there and, and uh, just some phenomenal ministries that have a heart for not only the Jew but also for all the Gentiles, for the Palestinians, for the Arabs, all of the workers from different countries. Do a wonder God there. And we do pray that you would help their government lift this mandate, the vaccine passport thing, God, so that they could open up again to tourism in a big way and that their tourist industry would no longer suffer so much. God, we just ask them to overturn that and help them allow all countries and all peoples to come in to visit their wonderful country. And God, we lift up those who are hurting, those that are trying to figure out what's going on in the world because it is so crazy right now and and wanting to know truth. What a wonderful time to get saved, to know that there is a reason, there's an answer. There's a reason why it's going on, there's an answer to what's going on. And Father, open up the floodgates, bring in the harvest. Thank you for all that you're doing. We pray for our brothers and sisters that are going through those difficult treatment situations or their surgeries. And Father, I just ask that you would minister to them and thank you for the family members around them and their friends around them that are going to be their support and their help. We need people around us when we have difficulties and our bodies are not cooperating and our bodies are falling apart. Just help us lift one another up and keep one another focused on you. And Father, we pray for the healing of our bodies. And so Father, thank you for all that you're doing. Go with us this day. Be our guide. Be our God. And thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, everybody, we will see you tomorrow at the same time. Keep looking up. Bye-bye.